Welcome to another episode of Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church. My name is Ryan Chase. I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, and this is an episode we call these Hear and Obey, where we are talking through a passage of scripture that we just preached on Sunday. And I'm joined today by Mark Christensen. Mark, thanks for taking some time to join me today and talk through this text that I preached. Uh, oftentimes I have the experience, and I know you've preached and you can relate. You, you read back through something and process it with somebody else, and you see things and you think, ah, I wish that would have made it into the sermon, um, which is a reminder to me just how, one, how deep and rich God's Word is and how profitable and edifying it is to us to not just hear the Word preached, but to talk about it, process mm-hmm. it together. We, we right. see new things. It gives us uh, new eyes. And really, our aim in this is to let the text dwell richly in us. So we are in Psalm 2. We are in the middle of our Advent series that we were calling This Is My Son, looking at texts of Scripture where the Father directly addresses the Son, which happens here in Psalm 2-7, which is the focus of this, uh, this sermon. But I'll read the whole psalm, and then we can jump in. So this is Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is God's word. Lord, we pray that you would... Speak to us now, and those who uh, listen in, that you would be at work in our hearts and our minds as your word sanctifies us, because this is your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thoughts, observations? Yeah, what a text. You would open your sermon by um, just giving the illustration of this. craziness i suppose that's happened in the last couple of years of um people trying to set themselves publicly autonomous from any kind of ruling structure or in this case police force um so with chaz you have all these people who are sectioning off a portion of a city and trying to make their own city pretty much yeah with their own rules and we saw that it didn't work mm-hmm. um as they had you know perfectly pictured it to happen. So, um, and I thought you made the connection well, which is this intended redemptive effect or this fallen focus of every text that we read in scripture. Mm -hmm. We're all like that. We set ourselves in our sin up against God and what he has said. So, um, just right out of the gate, that was really helpful to kind of get our minds framed in that way Mm. as we listen to the rest of the text. Yes. It's one of those illustrations where, um, at first it's easy to kind of scoff at those people right. over there participating in that kind of protest and doing something that seems lawless and, and futile. Um, but then when scripture turns it around, holds up the mirror to our own hearts and says that that's what every one of us is guilty mm-hmm. of in our sin. That's the essence of our sin. 
you know, shaking our fist at God, rebelling against God. And the way that that's so clearly portrayed here in Psalm 2, 1 through 3, I just love that it, it speaks both of the, the people's um, you know the, the the general population as well as their kings and their rulers, um, and and what they say together in their conspiracy. Let let us throw off, burst his bonds apart, um, as though God's rule and God's reign is this oppressive thing yeah, that's right. hindering and and holding them back from true happiness. All the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve thinking they know better than God, and the serpent introducing that that temptation. Did God really say? And why why would he? hold out on you? Why would he not want you to have this thing that doesn't it look good to you? And, uh, you know, that, that's the essence of our sin. And I think it's, it's deeply convicting to consider, even as believers, you know, we've been justified, but we still battle remaining sin. Right. And, and so when we do sin and, and when we give in to unbelief, that's what we're doing. We are shaking our fist at God. We're saying, I think I know better than you, and I, I, I want to do it my way. Which is completely irrational. Totally. Yeah. 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 So that that sets the, the context of the psalm. And for me, just in studying this passage um, and seeing so clearly how the disciples in Acts 4, they pray Psalm 2, 1 and 2, and they identify that that was just fulfilled. That just happened now when the Gentiles and the, the Jews conspired together to murder the Son of God, um, that's that's profound as well. This was fulfilled in history. It, it's a general picture of the state of the world and right. the condition of each of our hearts, but it was fulfilled at a point in time as well, specifically in the life of Jesus, which, yeah. which is incredible. So I, I think just given that context, I said this toward the end of the sermon, that um, the content of, of the Father's decree to the Son is powerful and deep and rich, mm-hmm. but the context in which it's spoken as well. You know, it's not just, hey, here's this this nice thing the Father says to the Son. It it comes in the middle of the nation's raging. Right. What, what does that tell us? That, you know, when, when there's turmoil in the world and the world is full of all of this chaos and sin and rebellion, what does the world need? Probably the last thing any of us would think of is, I know what it needs. It needs to know the Son of God. <laughs> it just seems like, no, you know, somebody get in there and um, put people in their place or whatever. But this, this is what the world needs, to know that the Son of God is, is begotten by the Father and that the Father um, has authorized and deputized Him yeah. on earth. And I love that Matt prayed from John 1, yeah. in the pastoral prayer before uh, the sermon, speaking about the light that breaks into the darkness. So like you said, we have this context here of the nations raging. People's plotting in vain, um, and the Lord speaks, and He speaks about this Son that He's begotten yeah. into this context. Um, so powerful for us to think of. You'd kind of broken this um, text up, and what does this text say about the Father? Then what does the Father in this text say about the Son? Yeah. And then you kind of open it up to, then what does that mean for the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I. I yeah, that's one of the things that stands out to me in meditating on and, and studying verse 7 in particular. The Lord said to me, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Just the fact that the Father is the one who speaks that, and the Father in speaking that is describing what he does, his action. I have begotten you. Um, so it, it, certainly we want to get to what does it mean about the son, but it's also appropriate to consider what does that tell us about the Father, who does the begetting, who does the 
speaking of this decree, right. um, because God the Father is being revealed here as well. Yeah, God speaking by nature. Um, it's who he is. You had brought up, which was helpful, God being a communicative being mm-hmm. by nature. If we had this context of this, this crazy world where sin makes us crazy, it's irrational, but God doesn't speak into that. He just kind of sits off in the distance. Yeah. There wouldn't be any hope for us. Um, yeah. How would we know how to be saved or um, what to believe? Right. But yet God has revealed himself um, so that, you know, in this dark world of sin and trouble and turmoil and sickness and wars, God has spoken and we know the truth. Yeah. And we know that the truth will set us free. And yeah. so um, we're able to hold on to um, the words from a father that only speaks what is true. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And in verses one through three, when the nations are conspiring against God and against his anointed, and they're saying, let us burst their bonds apart, um, that also is assuming the nations have received this revelation from God. They know what God requires. They they know something of his law, yeah. which is also part of God communicating and expressing himself. And so you you wouldn't have rebellion against God unless God first communicated himself, asserted himself in the world. And it's that that we rebel against, mm-hmm. what God has communicated. So yeah, just, just I, I think um, the depth and the richness of that truth that God is uh, fruitful, that he speaks, communicates, expresses, overflows. I think that's, that's the sense of it, that God is so full in and of himself that it's in his nature to overflow. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Edwards speaks that way about God creating the world. And um, just to meditate on that is profound. I, I quoted Herman Bavink, um, you know, part of what didn't make it into that quote. He just says, God's fruitfulness um, is something we don't often spend a whole lot of time thinking about, that God is by nature fruitful. Mm-hmm. He he speaks, he begets, he creates, he he just is overflowing. Um, not only does he have life in himself, but he gives life. I think all of that is wrapped up in yeah. what God is saying and doing here. Yeah. So we have God speaking by nature, revealing, but ultimately he does that not just by saying words that yeah. we can hear, yeah. but he does it through his son. Yeah. So would you mind kind of helping us dive into that? What does it mean for the father to beget a son, yeah. his son. Yeah. Well, you know, I talked about this in the sermon. To, to beget is to father or to bring forth something of the same nature. And C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he talks about that difference between begetting something and creating something. And that quote has just um, been very useful to me and kind of simplifying and, and understanding the, the difference. You know, you, you can create, you can carve a statue, you can paint a painting. That's different than bringing forth something of the same nature mm. to father, to reproduce, to replicate what you are in another living thing. So you know, for the father to beget the son and, and for God, the father to use that language here to the son, um, just there, there's so much packed into that, that, that the son is, um, I, I think it speaks of his status. I think it speaks of his nature as well. His role is representing the father. So there, there's a lot of meaning packed into sonship and th- that relationship between a father and a son. Yeah. It was a couple of weeks ago, we were in our discipleship huddle and it was over my lunch breaks. So we were just meeting at a restaurant close to my place of employment. And, um, 
a couple walked by and they saw we had our Bibles out. And so they said, oh, you read your Bibles? And we were like, yeah. One of the guys in our group said, yeah, are you guys Christians? And they're like, well, we don't necessarily believe what you believe. We come to find out they're Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. We end up talking to them for 40, 45 minutes. Um, you know, them standing there and they're just kind of like asking questions or like telling us, trying to tell us what they believe. But something that we kept getting stuck on and we kept trying to bring it back to is that distinction you talked about with Lewis saying, um, what the father begets, what God begets is God. Yeah. What God makes is not God. Yeah. Um, and they kept saying that, yes, Jesus is the only begotten, but they also said he's the first created being, first created being, yeah. which doesn't add up. Right. It can't be. So, right. Um, I wish you would have preached this text a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that would have been yeah. helpful to us. Well, that Nicene Creed, and we sing it in that song, uh, O come all ye faithful, right. begotten, not created. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think um, a lot of people, we, we say that and we recite that, but it's easy to do that without necessarily understanding what exactly is the distinction there, that the Son of God was not created. He, as God is uncreated. Yeah. And, and that's where it gets in our own minds, the mystery of it. How can this be that he's begotten from the Father and yet doesn't have a beginning? Because everything we know, this is where our experience of fatherhood and sonship um, is less it's in quality. It's, it's imperfect compared to God's experience of fatherhood and sonship. We, you know, To be a son means you didn't used to exist and then you were born and you know you, you can become a father when your first child is born. Um, but like Lewis says, there has never been a time when the father was not expressing himself. Right. As long as God the Father has existed, which is forever, he has always by nature been expressing himself perfectly in the Son. And right. so the Son is begotten, and yet that's eternal. Yeah. It's always been happening. When you, you kind of talked about in your sermon too how that sometimes doesn't affect us like it should. Yeah. Um, you brought up the illustration of um, being able to see into the huddle or see into the locker room in the Minnesota Vikings. And yeah. As you said that, I'm like, I agree. I love being <laughs> you there. You can relate. Um, and you've had some of those experiences yourself as a, a trainer being down on the sidelines. That's you know right, what that's yeah. like. Yeah. You get wrapped up in the game. And um, so for the father to show us a glimpse at his relationship with the son, mm. um, eternally being um, united in person mission. Um, yeah. And then for him to reveal that into this context of the world. Yeah. Um, is significant. You said there's never, I think this was part of the Lewis quote. There's never been a time where, um, the father hasn't spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. As the son. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's always been communicating himself through the son. The son is, is the expression of the father. Um, and, and then it, it makes sense why Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 and John 1 speak of the Son the way that they do. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of His nature. He's the image of the invisible God. Um, We have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son begotten of the Father. So, um, you know, that's what He does. And, And I think that's where it flows in then to that, that where Psalm two ends. So, so what do you do with that? God, the the world is in rebellion against God. We all individually rebel against God, but this is the revelation of the glory of God. God has put forth, not just in words, but the word Mm. who became flesh in a person. Um, And so what do you do when you're a rebel? Well, you bend your knee, you you repent, you turn, you worship the son. And and then I, I just think 
what's so powerful about that is we have then in Jesus the fullness of the Father for us right. revealed. So we can look at what he did, what he said, um, how he lived, what he accomplished in his death and his resurrection. We want to know what the Father's like. This is why Jesus can say to his disciples when they said, show us the Father. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. Uh, we have in him revelation of the glory of God, which fuels our worship then. Turn to him. And, um, and, and, and so I, I think, it, like you were saying, they're profound truths. We, we can recite them in creeds and, and you know, uh, state the doctrine that we believe, but to meditate on it until our hearts are affected, Jesus is the revelation of the glory of God that we long to see. So seeing him, contemplating him, meditating on who he is, um, that should stir our hearts with awe and wonder and joy and all of those affections. Yeah. It's just thinking how gracious it is, gracious it is that the father into this context of um, sin and rebellion, it's almost like a, a parent who chuckles when they see their kid doing something foolish. Like I told you better and yet you're still, you know, acting in foolishness. And so all I can do is um, we know that it's not, especially in younger kids, it's not malicious yeah. necessarily. They just don't know um, even as much as a parent might tell their son or their daughter. So, um, Gracious for the Father to, you know, he sits in the heaven, he laughs at our foolishness yeah. as we try to live according to our own standards, our own rules. Um, and yet, right after that, he speaks about the Son mm. um, that he's sending into the world. And during Advent, just to think about that, yeah. um, despite our foolishness, yet the Lord has prepared a way. Yeah, he provides his Son. He would be totally justified, I, and I, I said this in, in the sermon, um, to respond to the rebellion of the world and just punish the world. Um, but the fact that it ends with an invitation to those rebels, right. worship the Son, kiss the Son, acknowledge Him, uh, give your loyalty to Him, is an incredible display of God's grace toward us. We don't deserve that. And, and then to make that personal, not just, well, yeah, the, the bad world out there, you know, they, they need grace. No, I, I uh, have been shown grace by the Father, that, mm. that He has turned my heart from rebellion against Him to a desire for Jesus, a desire to worship Him, um, just completely undeserved mercy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So in the Son, we have the fullness of God for us to look to, mm -hmm. um, who came to earth. And then you brought up another Lewis quote um, later on that said, in Jesus, we have a picture of the only mature man yeah. to ever live on this earth. Yeah. And to think that one day, all those who are in Christ are going to be mature men, mature women. Yeah. So we get the picture of the fullness of God. And what one day, that's our hope, yeah. is that we'll be redeemed. Um, we will finally be mature men as God had created us to be. Yeah. That's something I wish I had developed more or lingered on more. Cause that, that quote from Lewis in him for the first time we see a real man. Yeah. Um, and just the thought, so Adam is created in the likeness of God. We would affirm all of us as human beings are in the image of God. Correct. Um, and Yet to realize, okay, because Adam sinned, he never reached full maturity. You know, I was thinking about this even this morning, just reflecting on 
that point and how, you know, think of like a, a fruit tree. You know, if you plant an apple tree, you don't expect apples, uh, a great harvest of apples that first year or even the second year. It can take years until it reaches maturity and it bears mature apples that you can enjoy. So Adam is like this tree that never reaches maturity, never bears that full fruit. Mm. Um, he's made in the image of God, but then because of sin, he's fallen. That image is distorted. A- and on all the way throughout human history until Jesus, he's, he's the first yeah. and, and only real man ever to walk the earth in the fullness of maturity. And I think that helps make sense of, there, there's so many tangents we could get into here. Hebrews quotes Psalm 2 two different times, um, and, and talks a lot about the sonship of, of Jesus. And it uses language like he learned obedience through what he suffered. Um, and after having learned obedience, he sat down at the right hand of the father. So it talks about this, like this experience or this progression that can be seem weird to us. Like, well, if he's eternally existed as the son of God, why did he have to learn obedience? Well, he became a man. And as a man, he had to actually live and obey. And in that process, that's why through his life and his suffering and his obedience to the father in the midst of suffering all the way to the cross, um, that, that is Jesus as a man reaching full maturity in that we see, you know, maturity isn't this thing you just possess in the abstract. It's proven in real life. And, and that's what Jesus does. So it, it just, again, that's, that deepens my affection, adoration of Jesus, Mm. who he is and what, what he accomplished. And then like you're saying to think that's the promise to us. Hebrews says, um, talks about in, it was appropriate in bringing many sons to glory that he would suffer and learn obedience through what he suffered. So that's what he's doing. He's bringing many sons to glory. He's bringing us along with him to redeem us and restore us to that nature God intended. He made man to bear his image, to reflect him. So that, that is, yeah, that we get to share in that is crazy. Yeah. Many sons and daughters like us who are rebellious in nature, that he's restoring yeah. true manhood, true womanhood Yes, um, in us. and. One day we will walk this earth, this redeemed, this new heavens, new earth. Yeah. As true men, true son, with Christ. Yeah. You know, our greater um yep. greater brother. So that's right. What a text. Yeah. Any other thoughts? We wrap up. Yeah, I think I think in the end you just see this kind of admonition, like here's the context. Here's what the Father's done. Here's who the Son is. Mm-hmm. Fullness of the Father. Verse 10. Now therefore, yeah. O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. And here's kind of the command, the commission. Mm-hmm. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son or pay homage, pay worship yeah. to the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Mm-hmm. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So you get the opposite then. There at the end, there's the warning, yep. and then there's the promise, the blessing, yeah, yep, yep, to those who take refuge, right? That that's that's the right response. The Father has sent forth His Son into the world. There's no neutral ground. Nobody can remain neutral about Him. Either worship Him or rebel against Him. And all who worship Him, the the, the blessing is, yeah, we're we're made like Him, yeah. transformed, redeemed, and forgiven, and what a joy. Yeah, we were, we were talking about just application about that um, from this text um, over lunch yesterday. 
after the service. And um, several people just remarked how helpful it was to think about in your financial troubles, worship the sun there. Mm. In your family strife during the holidays, worship the sun there. Um, in your conflicts in ho- at home yeah. or in the workplace, start by worshiping the sun there. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't have to be this grand thing, but just practice obedience, looking to this, um, looking to Jesus, looking to the Father. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what you know. I took away yesterday Good. as I went about my day. Is how do we um, start by worshiping this Son, yeah. who's revealed Himself, who's been revealed fully mm-hmm. into this world. So that's encouraging. Yeah, and my thought in that is if the opening verses portray humanity's rebellion against God um, and our tendency to think we know better than God and the mess we make of that. Well, when you find yourself in a mess that you've made because you're trying to do things your own way, the remedy is right there in the middle of that mess, worship Jesus, honor him, resolve in your heart. I I want to honor Jesus right here in my life uh, in these present circumstances no matter what I want, mm-hmm. I want to glorify him more than I want anything else. And, and then you're moving in the right direction. Um, it, it's just always the remedy for us to get right. that settled. I, I want to honor God. I want to please him. I want to enjoy him. I want him more than I want anything else. Mm. Um, that's what kills all of our idolatrous desires and, um, unbelief and everything else through which we make a mess of our lives. So, Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah, I think that's that's the takeaway for me as well. And it's you don't have to wait long to find you know opportunities in everyday life. All right, this is one of those I just need to set my priorities right, my mind, my heart on Jesus above everything right. else. Yeah. That He'd be honored in my life. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Mark, for your time and talking through this. We do pray that this uh, this word would cause us to feel greater affection for Jesus, the Word who became flesh. That's right. Amen.